Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. I want to ask you today, if you have your Bibles today, will you open them with me to 1 Peter chapter 4? This morning, as we open God's word, we pick up right with the text where we left off last week, and we continue on in our sermon series entitled, Have You Lost It? When we ask that question, have you lost it, what we're asking really is this. In your life, have you lost sight of the glory of God? God's glory is God's revelation. It is his manifestation, if you will, of all that he is. To speak of God's glory is to speak of his power, to speak of his authority, to speak of his majesty, to speak of his omniscience, that he knows all things, his omnipotence, that he is all powerful, his omnipresence, that he is in all places. To speak of God's glory is to speak of the fullness of all that he is. Throughout the course of this message, we've been reminded very loud and clear that God has revealed his glory in so many ways in our life. And yet, oftentimes in our life, like the Israelites in the Old Testament, it is easy for us to get caught up in the busyness of life It's easy for us to get impatient with God. It's easy for us at times get confused. We don't see how God is working. He's not moving in the way that we thought that he would. And in the midst of that, it is easy for us to turn inward, just like the Israelites of the Old Testament, and begin to live our life for ourselves. It's easy to get distracted from the glory of God to substitute and to compromise instead to live our life for our glory and praise. So when we ask that question, have you lost it? We're simply asking, have you lost sight of the glory of God. Well, today as we begin this message, I want to begin again with another question. It's a question of examination, a question I want you to answer in your heart today, and that is this. In your life, for you personally, what are you willing to give for the glory of God? What are you willing to give for the glory of of God. Now, I imagine this morning when you hear that question, many of us are thinking, oh, great, here's another preacher talking about money. Oh, great, here's another message about giving and about generosity. And so he's going to ask us to give something. But I want you to know loud and clear when it comes to giving for the glory of God, frankly, it's not as easy as simply giving a financial gift. God's not asking us today to just simply write a check and to be done with it. Okay, we've glorified God. No, no, no. What God desires and requires of us is so much greater. I want us to remember over the last several weeks we've been studying how we glorify God. And we've been reminded specifically that we're to glorify God in the way that we make decisions. We've been reminded of how we are to glorify God and literally through our bodies being lived for him. We were reminded last week how we glorify God in the church by loving one another and praying for one another and serving one another and showing hospitality. But today we come to a subject that we don't like to talk about. It's a bit uncomfortable. And yet it's a reminder today that even in difficult times, we can glorify God. And that is this morning I want to preach on the subject, glorifying God in suffering. Glorifying God in suffering. I remind you today that the Bible tells us our entire being, our very life, even our very bodies, it's meant for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? 
For you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. The apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, a word of instruction, a word of pleading as he says this, I urge you brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Of course, those verses are reminding us that our bodies are meant for the glory of God and we think of them in the context of holiness and obedience to God. Yet they're also a call for us today to total surrender to Jesus no matter the cost. In fact, loud and clear, this was Paul's understanding of what it meant to live for Jesus. It wasn't just in going to church. It wasn't just gathering as an assembly. It wasn't just in being generous to the needs of the saints. It was literally a giving of his entire life, a surrendering of his entire life, body included, all for the glory of God. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter begins to explain to us the difficulties that the believers in his day were facing. And that day there was a Roman emperor by the name of Nero who was doing everything that he could to rid the empire of the name of Jesus. So when the great fire of Rome broke out and destroyed so much of the city, he quickly accused the Christians of setting the fire because he found that it was an easy way to wipe them out. Nero was brutal in the ways that he found and discovered to persecute Christians, to have them burned at the stake, to have them hunted as sport in the Colosseum. He was brutal in everything that he could to get rid of Christians. And yet... Even in such a time of uncertainty, a time of difficulty, a time of persecution, a time of suffering, God speaks through the apostle Peter to give words of instruction, words of encouragement, words of hope, and words of promise for how we can glorify him even in times of suffering. And so with that in mind this morning, we look at the subject, glorifying God and suffering, and I wanna ask you, if you're able to do so physically, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Beginning in verse 12, listen to what God says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, listen to this, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it's with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what then will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the promises of your word, for the reminder that even though we go through trials, circumstances, and at times sufferings, you are still God, you are still good, and we can still trust in you. Help us to do that here today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Glorifying God in suffering. You know, the reality is this morning is that we all face trials and circumstances in our life. Every single one of us will face various forms, if you will, of suffering and of struggles. I remember several years ago now, a gentleman calling me here in the office one day, and he was asking me the question that we so often ask when we go through difficult times. Here's his question. Pastor Matt, why is this happening to me? 
Why am I going through these hardships in my life? And I said, well, tell me what, what's been going on. He said, well, on Monday, I got a speeding ticket. On Wednesday, my brother died unexpectedly of a heart attack. And this morning, I started running fever. I don't feel too good. Now, this is before COVID was even an issue in our culture today. Well, the reality is in that moment, what he was saying is this, I'm going through the ringer. I've had a horrible week. It seems like it's gone from bad to worse and things keep happening. Why is God allowing this to happen to me? But the Bible tells us loud and clear. There are some things that we go through that are consequences of our actions. Why did he get a speeding ticket? Hello, because he was speeding, okay? Why did his brother die? I don't know the full details of that situation, but I do know this. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. In fact, God even warned Adam and Eve from the very beginning. He said, listen, if you disobey me, if you rebel against me, if you sin, death will surely come. And yet they did it anyway. And as a result, sin and death entered the world. Why does he run in fever? I don't know the details of that, but I do know that disease and division and destruction of all sorts are a part of our life ever since the fall from the very beginning. In other words, there are some trials and circumstances that we all face because we are sin-prone people living in a sin-filled, fallen world. And yet the Bible takes it a step further in 1 Peter chapter four because Peter is not merely talking about simply circumstances. He's talking about suffering. He's talking about the trials that we face, the difficulties that we face, specifically because we are proclaiming and standing for the name of Jesus Christ. It's in that context that Peter points us to the reality that not every trial is a form of suffering, but every form of suffering is indeed a trial. I believe what God is wanting us to recognize today loud and clear is this. We have been so largely blessed in this country to have the freedoms that we have. I don't know about you, but we should be grateful for this. I pray that we will always have the opportunity to gather publicly and corporately, to gather even online for that context, to worship God and to hear his word and openly proclaim it. But even if we don't, God says loud and clear that we should not be surprised when persecution comes. In fact, we should even expect it. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15. Here's what he said. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because, Christian, you're not of the world and I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. Listen to this. If they persecuted me, and did they persecute Jesus? Absolutely. What does he say? They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. The apostle Paul experienced this very truth. He would look at his mentee, Timothy, and he would say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What does Peter say in 1 Peter 4? Here's what he says. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Many Christians today are so shocked when difficulties come and trials come and certainly when sufferings come because we have lived in such a place of comfort and such a place of ease when things happen, we must assume that God doesn't like us anymore. Difficulties come, well, what did I do wrong, Lord? We suffer for the name of Christ and we immediately assume that we must have done something bad. But what God is showing us is this, as we live for the Lord Jesus, as we proclaim his name, there will be times of suffering. 
In fact, there's a whole wave of theology in our church, the evangelical church today, that preaches a prosperous, pain-free life that if you have enough faith placed in God, then life is gonna be a bed of roses. But can I tell you that that is nowhere found in God's word? If that were true, God is a liar and he is to apologize to nearly every prophet of the Old Testament. We face suffering at times for the name and for the cause of Christ. And that should not surprise us. Remember, it, wasn't, it was Jesus in Luke chapter nine, verse 23, who called us, and here's his invitation. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his wealth. Take up his comforts. Take on his pleasures to live a life for his own self, right? No, 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 no. Take up his cross daily and follow me. What God is saying loud and clear today, and I believe what God is bringing us to is this. When we go through these times of trials and circumstances, even suffering for the name of Jesus Christ, instead of saying, why me, Lord? Oh, why me? God is calling us instead and asking why to ask God what? God, what would you have me to do? God, what are you doing in this moment? And what would you have me to do in obedience to what's going on in my life. I want you to see three things this morning. If we're to glorify God in suffering, I think there's three things that we need to do. Number one, God tells us loud and clear, if we're gonna glorify God in suffering, it begins in this. It begins by rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. The old song said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. James says it this way, James chapter one, verse two. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That word consider it all joy is a word literally that means count it all joy. It's a mathematical term of evaluation. If you've ever had an investment, I imagine as you've made your investment, if you watch it day to day, moment by moment, the investments will kind of go through the roller coasters, won't they? They'll sink and they'll go high and they'll sink and they'll go high and they'll sink and they'll go high. But if you're wise, the mature investor can step back at times and realize even though there's some ups and downs, there should be a steady line of consistency of growth and of increase over time. When this Bible says count it all joy, what it's literally saying is this, listen, you're gonna go through highs and lows. There are gonna be some mountains, there are gonna be some valleys, there are gonna be some days you wish you could even see the top of the mountain. And yet as a mature believer, you can step back and recognize, you know what? God is in control. He is sovereignly working all things together for his glory and my good. And so I'm gonna trust him. You may not see it in the moment. You may not feel it in the moment. You may not even know in that specific moment what direction God is leading you. But if you can step back and put your trust in him, you can find that he is consistent, he is stable, and he is faithful, and he is working. So we can rejoice in him. Why? Because we know that God is working through this to produce joy in my life. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, reminds us even of looking to Jesus as the example. Here's what it says. We are to be fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of that for a moment. Jesus was burying and carrying, bearing and carrying the weight of the cross. He was carrying your sins and mine. Never has anyone felt the weight that Jesus felt in that moment. And yet he persevered. Why? Because he was looking forward to what the Father was accomplishing through that moment. And then the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, verse 3, 
So consider him who's endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When you look ahead, recognizing God is good and God is faithful, and even though I'm struggling and hurting, God is doing something for his glory. It gives us a joy that nothing else in this world can give us. No wonder then Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse six. He would say, so in this, in this trial, in this hardship, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. We're not only called to rejoice in our suffering, but to greatly rejoice in our suffering. What does he say in 1 Peter chapter four? Here's what he says loud and clear. Verse 13, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. A constant attitude, a constant praise, a constant focus on the Lord. In fact, four times he mentions that word rejoice, telling us no matter what we're facing, fix your eyes on Jesus and keep on rejoicing in him. Well, how can we do that? It sounds impossible, doesn't it? How can we keep on rejoicing when we're not happy about our circumstance? How can we keep on rejoicing when we are suffering for the name of Christ and standing up for him and losing our job or standing up for him and being mocked and ridiculed or standing up for him and having issues within our friendships? How do we do that? Three things he tells us. Number one, we should rejoice in our partnership with Christ. We should rejoice in our partnership with Christ. Even today, when we go through difficult times together with people, there is a closeness that is experienced. Many today of my closest friends are still friends that I had from college and from seminary because we went through weeping and gnashing of teeth together in seminary, okay? There's something about going through difficult times that brings you a place of closeness with the people who walk through them with you. And yet, Peter says something interesting in these verses. He says, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Now, it's easy to think at times of the suffering that we experience for Christ, we proclaim the name of Jesus, and as a result at times, we might have persecution. The Apostle Paul's totally understood that, as he said in Philippians 1.29, for to you it's been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. There are times that we suffer for the sake of Christ. But Paul takes it a step further, because Paul understood that it's not merely when we suffer that we're suffering for Christ, but that we're suffering with him. That the very trials and sufferings that Jesus experienced, when we are suffering and being persecuted for the name of Christ, we are entering into that with him. In fact, Paul so clearly desired to know Jesus that here's what he said in Philippians chapter three. His greatest desire was, quote, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You know what Paul's saying? It's not that Paul's wanting to be persecuted. It's not saying that he wanted to be beaten, but here's what he's saying. My greatest desire is to know Jesus and to know him fully and to know him more and more. And so if that means suffering, to God be the glory. If that means fellowshipping with his sufferings, if that means being persecuted, if that means being mocked and ridiculed, if that means literally being beaten, my greatest desire is to know Jesus. So if that'll bring me closer to Jesus, to God be the glory. In fact, Paul would even say it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, and I don't have time to read those verses right now. He would literally talk about carrying about in his body the very dying of Jesus. 
Sounds so weird, but what Paul is saying in that moment is this. As Paul is looking at the physical scars on his back, as Paul is considering the physical pain that he has endured simply for proclaiming the name of Jesus, he rejoices because he understands in that suffering, he was not only suffering for Jesus, but Jesus was with him in it. There was a fellowship, there was a partnership. He literally saw the persecution that he experiences experienced as an identification with Christ. Rejoice in our partnership. Secondly, how do we glorify God and rejoice in the midst of suffering? Here's what we do. We rejoice in God's promise. Rejoice in his promise. What does he say loud and clear in verse 13? Keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Please hear this loud and clear. When Peter says, you may rejoice at the revelation of his glory, here's what he's saying. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is coming a day when these temporary trials and things that we face in this earth, it's gonna be transformed into glory. You might go through hardship here in this fallen world and it might seem like it's overwhelming and it might seem like it's never gonna end. It might feel like a pandemic that won't go away. But when you live your life for the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the confidence and the assurance and the promise that one day, whether he's gonna call you home to be with him or he's gonna come and meet us in the clouds and snatch us away. And when that happens, literally all that we've experienced, the suffering, the trials, all of it for his name's sake, all of it will be radically transformed into glory. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. For momentary... Light affliction. Somebody say the word light. Light. <laughs> light affliction. Paul has been beaten numerous times. Paul has literally been stoned with rocks and left for dead. Paul's constantly unaware of who's coming against him. And yet he calls it his momentary light affliction. Can I just remind you, if you know Christ your Lord and Savior, no matter how bad it gets here in this fallen world, it is but momentary light affliction. Christian, this world is the only hell you will experience. It is momentary light affliction, but what is it doing? It is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but we're looking at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. When we're gonna experience this, we're gonna experience it when Jesus comes again or we're called up together to meet him in heaven. First Peter chapter one, verse six, Peter agrees. Listen to this. He says, so in this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Verse eight, we will greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory when, we come, when Jesus comes again and we're gathered together with him. In other words, no matter what you're facing and no matter what you're feeling today, even when you suffer for the name of Christ, you can live with faith and you can live with joy because you know God is already working these things together for his glory and even for our good. And one day, the fulfillment of his promise will take place when we're called together to meet the Lord in heaven. And when we do, instantly, all the sorrows of this world will be transformed into glory. Let me illustrate that with the same illustration that Jesus gave because I think Jesus is, does the best job of illustrating anything. Wouldn't you agree? John chapter 16, verses 20 through 22. Go read it this week and read the illustration that Jesus gave. I can't think of a better illustration than what he spoke in John 16. He gave the illustration of a woman in labor, a mother in labor. Now, 
I am not a woman. I know that's hard to believe. (laughs) I have never been in labor, but I have been with my wife who was in labor on four different occasions. And the first time I remember it was, it was a long 24 hour ordeal. And I can tell you from what I have witnessed that when a woman is in labor, frankly, there is much anxiety and, and there is stress and there is pain, and there is discomfort, and there is patience that's required, and there's perseverance, and, and, and you're hoping for the best, and yet at the same time, the, the physical feelings and the emotions of all, the, there's so many different challenges, and it's absolutely exhausting. And yet, when the baby is born, when you hear that first cry, when the baby is brought to the mother's chest to, to nurse and to be close, I mean, I'm telling you, I can't think of how else to say it. It is absolutely instant. It goes from the, the pain and the toil and the labor and, and the sweat and all those things to instantly there's joy and there's celebration. And in the midst of it all, there's a transformation that takes place. Even as a father, I remember being in those moments and, and I'm trying to encourage and I'm trying to coach and I'm trying to breathe myself so I don't pass out. And you're going through all that process. And then, inst- I mean, just instantly that cry You're just overwhelmed with joy and with tears and emotions. There's a transformation. That is the illustration that Jesus gives to say, listen, you go through hardship. You gotta persevere. It's exhausting. And I was, yes, but when I come again, immediately when your faith ends in sight, it's gonna be revealed and transformed into an eternal weight of glory. So Christian, rejoice. Third thing to rejoice in. Rejoice in God's presence. Rejoice in his presence. Listen to what Peter says. This is awesome. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Doesn't that go against the ways of the world, the message of the world? If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Hebrews 13 says it this way. He has said, I will never desert you. I will never forsake you so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Friend, I want you to know, when you go through sufferings, circumstances, and trials and are willing to trust God, you can experience God's presence in ways that you never would have otherwise. Let me illustrate that. Recently, I learned of a pastor acquaintance. I don't know him really well, but he's a pastor who's been going through cancer. They had found numerous tumors on his vocal cords and on his jugular. And he's getting ready to go into an all-day surgery at UVA, and I found out about it, and so I reached out to just call him and say, number one, I'm praying for you. Number two, is there anything your family needs? And three, is there anything your church congregation needs? And the process that it was clear, I called to encourage him, but frankly, he was so filled with joy, it shocked me. So filled with joy. And so then I asked, I said, listen, what is God teaching you right now? What is God showing you right now? Because with the joy you have, man, that, that's, it's awesome. I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Pastor Matt, I want you to know, I am so thankful for this cancer. I am so thankful for this cancer. I said, what do you mean? How is that possible? He said, Pastor Matt, in the process of my treatments, in the process of seeking the Lord and all this, he said, God has been so close to me. God has been so close. He has been that friend that sits closer than a brother. He's been with me through the difficult times. He's been with me through the moments and the questions. He's been with me through the doubts. God has been so close to me. You know what he was saying? 
He was saying, Pastor Matt, it's not that I wanted the cancer, but I am thankful that in the midst of it all, God has been so close in a way that I've never experienced before. When you suffer for the name of Christ, the spirit of glory rests on you. You think we've had a picture of that? I mean, go back to the Old Testament. Remember we were reading in Exodus 32 and 33 when God would meet with Moses there on the mountain, his cloud would descend. It was a physical depiction, a manifestation of his presence. It would literally come and rest on the mountain. Exodus 33, Moses would set up the tent outside of the camp and the Bible says that when the cloud came, Moses knew God was there so he would go to meet with God. It was literally God going and resting. Did you know that even in suffering today, God's presence rests and manifests itself in unique ways even in times of suffering? Let me illustrate that. Acts chapter six, for, Acts chapter six and chapter seven, there's a story by the, of a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen is proclaiming the name of Jesus and the people who don't want anything to do with Jesus are literally getting ready to stone him to death. They don't wanna hear anything about the name of Christ. And listen to what happens in Acts chapter six, verse 15. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an what? angel. Does this mean that Stephen was transformed into an angel? No. Does this mean that Stephen all of a sudden became perfect? No. Does it mean that he suddenly had wings and a golden halo like you'd be depicted on a Hallmark movie? No. It means in his suffering, he was so aware of the presence of Christ that Christ reflected himself through him to where people noticed literally a change. There is no explainable reason of why he could be at such peace and such contentment and such joy even as he's being killed and yet he did, why? Because the presence of God was on his life. No wonder then that Paul and Silas in Acts 16 could sing songs of praise at midnight. No wonder throughout the history of the church martyrs have sang praises and shouted aloud the name of Jesus even as they're being martyred, why? Because they rejoice in the very presence of God. But I want you to tell you there's, there's more to that. How do we glorify God in our sufferings? For one, we rejoice in the Lord. If you're still with me, would you say all right? all right? Number two, here's what we do. We resolve to stand firm in the Lord. Resolve to stand firm in the Lord. In other words, I believe we've got to get our minds right about what living for Jesus really means. Our culture, we often think that living for Jesus means going to church on Sundays. That's just religious practice for many people. We often think, oh, well, well, living for Jesus means that, you know, that I amen the preacher, that I give here, that I serve there, that I, you know, be kind to people. Those things are all good. But there's more to living for Jesus than just merely the things that have been stated. Remember, Jesus' call was for us to take up a cross and lay down our lives for him. Jesus said this way in Matthew 16, verse 25, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So our calling in Christ is to lay down our lives for him so that he might live in and through us. The apostle Paul would agree. Listen to what Paul himself said of his own testimony. He said, listen, the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me. And we saw that all throughout God's word. Listen to this statement. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. I ask you a question. Do you consider your life dear to you? 
Now, Paul's not encouraging you to go outside and do something crazy and foolish that you know is gonna bring harm to yourself, but what he's recognizing loud and clear is this. His life was meant for the glory of one person and one person alone. And it wasn't himself. His life was meant for the glory of God. And so Paul determined loud and clear before he knew what pestilences and disease might come, before he knew what persecutions he might face, Paul came to this conclusion to say, listen, it is my life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever that means, wherever I have to go, whatever the cost, whatever it takes, how much am I willing to give for the glory of God? Here's the answer. I give it all. My life for Jesus. Can I just be, be, uh, be blunt to say to you like, It is God who gave us life. It's God who's given you breath. It's God who's given you a clear mind. It's God who's given you the functions and the skills that you have. It's God who's given you the experiences that you have. It's God who's given you the blessings. And on top of all of that, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we can not only have abundant life here, but eternal life and glory. Why would we give him anything less than our full lives surrendered to him? Here the apostle Peter is looking at the believers and he said, listen, yes, you're gonna go through hardships and suffering. Make sure you're not suffering because you've done evil or done wrong. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. So resolve to stand firm in the Lord, counting it an honor at times when we suffer for the name of Christ. Acts chapter five, verse 41, the Bible tells us that the apostles were threatened and they were, they were beaten. They were threatened. Like, you can't tell anybody about this man named Jesus, but listen to what the Bible says. They went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Notice these sufferings did not send them into isolation, division, and criticism, or even silence. No, verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So two exhortations. Number one, be bold in the Lord. Be bold in the Lord. Yes, we're gonna face tribulation. Jesus told us that. He prepared us from the very beginning. But be reminded of John 16, verse 33. These things, Jesus says, I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. Why, Jesus says, for I have overcome the world. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, please understand, there is nothing that anyone can do to change who you are in Christ. And there is nothing that anyone can do to change who Christ is in you. If you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, there is nothing you can face this side of heaven that's going to rob you of your salvation. If you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, there is nothing that can happen that's gonna change your standing with God. So be bold, be faithful in your walk and be unashamed of your stand for him. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy 1. For this reason, I suffer things. Also, I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed For I know whom I believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted unto him until that day. Be bold in the Lord. And finally, second exhortation here about standing firm in the Lord, be burdened for the lost. Be burdened for the lost. We go through sufferings and hardships. Listen, we're all human. I I don't like hardships any more than you do. I didn't like getting COVID back in July any more than you might like getting sick. I didn't like it. We all face some hardships. 
But believer, I want to encourage you not only to be focused on the Lord and bring glory to him, but also be mindful that people in your life who don't know Jesus, they're watching you. You want to complain and grumble and throw in the towel? Lose heart and lose faith? Your actions are affecting more than just you. It's affecting your witness of Christ. Be mindful and burdened for the lost. That's exactly what Peter says here in verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but to glorify God in this name. Listen, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what about the outcome for those who don't obey the gospel of God? If the righteous are saved, experience difficulty in the world, what's gonna become of the godless man and the sinner? I find that very interesting. In 1 Peter chapter one, the apostle Peter looks at our trials and he calls them a temporary fiery ordeal. And sometimes it feels like you're going through the fire. Anybody ever been there before? Maybe just me, I don't know. A few ladies here at the front, thank you. (laughs) It feels like you're going through it. But if you know Christ... It's a temporary fire ordeal. Listen to me. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you die having never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, the fire ordeal that you will face will be eternal. There will be no undoing it. Some of the man, I don't, I don't want to follow Jesus. You're going to face some suffering and some hardship. You can go through this fiery ordeal. Yes, but it's temporary. And through it all, you got the presence of God with you. You got the, the body of Christ with you. You've got God's word to lead you and God you and help you through it. It's temporary. And when it's over, we're going to be in glory in heaven for all of eternity. But for those who don't know Christ, you can live the most comfortable, easygoing life, but you're still going to face hardships. But if you don't know Jesus and you die without him, you will spend an eternity separated from God in a place of eternal torment, literally called hell, where the Bible says the fire never quenches. It never stops. It never lets up. So believers, be bold, but also be burdened for the lost. I want to encourage you this week. Go read about a man by the name of William Tyndale. William Tyndall had a deep conviction of Romans 10, 17, that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. William Tyndale, on October the 6th, 1536, was strangled to death and then his body was burned at the stake. You know what awful thing he did? He translated the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into English. You would not have a single copy of God's word in English if it weren't for him and men like him throughout the years. And yet he was strangled and burned at the stake. He was given one opportunity to recant and to, 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 to basically dismiss everything he believed about God's word and everything he believed about Jesus. And in his final words to speak publicly, here is simply what he said. He prayed and he said, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. He was burdened for the king. Lord, would you open his eyes that he might be saved? Lord, would you let him see the truth of who you are? And he was killed for it. Seems like such a waste, doesn't it? But God is always working. There were others that day watching and listening to Tyndale's final plea. There were others watching his stand for the gospel and his faith in Christ, even in times of suffering. Three years later, there was a new king, Henry VIII, who was so convinced of the truth of that word that Tyndale had proclaimed that he required every parish in England to make a copy of the English Bible available to its members. 
For the first time, a copy of God's word became commonplace for people to take and read. Why? Because even in his dying breath, he was bold and he was burdened for the lost. Final. If we're gonna glorify God in our suffering, yes, rejoice in the Lord. Yes, praise God. That's exactly what we're called to do. Yes, resolve to stand firm, Lord. Finally, rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. We hear that word rest in our culture, we think of a Sunday afternoon nap. Maybe you think about the nap you're getting right now. I'm not sure. <laughs> or you want me to shut up so you can go get a nap. I don't know. But when I use the word rest, I'm speaking of it in a sense of an experience of peace, a place of calm. I'm not in the conflict. I'm not in the struggle. I'm not riding the emotions, the ups and downs. I'm in a place of peace and of rest. It's interesting that Peter, for according to the will of God, shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. This is just really simple. What he's calling us to do is this. He's saying, listen, Christian, the God that we love and serve, he is God over all. So surrender your life to him and keep trusting him. Keep trusting him. Keep trusting him. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in your world, keep trusting him and rest in who he is. Well, what do we trust in? I wanna share with you just a few simple things. We're gonna close our time together. This past Monday, I was meeting with a group of leaders throughout the state of Virginia. And a good friend of mine by the name of Alan Roberts, who pastors in Bristol, Virginia. Alan's one of those guys that, He's from a rural community, and, and he, when he begins to talk with his southern twang, um, he takes me back home. My mind goes back home to Alabama, okay? So when he talks, it's like divinely inspired. That's what I'm saying. I was just like. But he shared with a group of pastors who have faced some really challenging times in the past year and a half, some words of encouragement. And basically what he was encouraging us to do was to fix our attention on Jesus and he reminded us of five truths about God that we can trust in difficult times. And I wanna share them with you. And I give him the credit because I called this week and, and asked him for permission to share them with you. Five things to trust the Lord in today. Number one, find rest in the fact that God is sovereign over all. He's sovereign over all things. He's working all things together for his glory and even for our good, even when we don't see it. Rest in the fact that God is sovereign over all. Rest in the fact that God is infinitely wise. We don't even know what the next hour holds. God knows what all of eternity holds. We, we have this little short side of view. God sees the entire panoramic view of eternity. He knows it all. He's infinitely wise. Rest in the fact that God is perfect in his love and he loves you. What an amazing reality. There's nothing that God can do to improve his love and there's nothing that he can do to love you more. He's perfect in his love and he loves you. Number four, rest in the fact that God's grace is greater than our sin and it is always sufficient. Yeah, but you don't know the situation. I don't, but I know that God's grace is greater than our sin and it is always sufficient for every single need. And here's the final. Rest in the fact that Jesus is coming again. This world is not our home. 
We've been called into it to be a light in the midst of the darkness. But know this, Jesus is coming again. And all who believe in Jesus, we're gonna be ready for that day because we're gonna be with him for all of eternity. Let me close with this final illustration. In 1952, a lady in her early 30s by the name of Florence Chadwick, a swimmer, entered into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off of Catalina Island, determined to swim over the 20 miles to the mainland of California. She began her swim that day, trying to be the first woman to ever do this, and she began swimming and swimming and swimming. And as she swam, a thick fog hovered over the area in which she was swimming. In fact, not only did the fog came, but it began to drizzle on her, and she swam and swam and swam. But frankly, in the midst of the fog, in the midst of the weather, the conditions are horrible, and she got tired. After almost 16 hours, she finally raised her hand in exhaustion, I can't go any further. They tried to encourage her on, but she frankly just couldn't do it. They got her out, they got her on the boat, and when she got in the boat, she suddenly realized she was less than a mile from the shore. Florence Chadwick, in an interview after that, frankly, failed swim, she was asked why she gave up. And her answer was simply this. I suppose I just couldn't see the shore. I couldn't see the shore and I was exhausted. Florence Chadwick left that day, went home, and over the next few months, worked through that failure and worked through those things in her heart and mind, worked on training. And two months later, went right back to Catalina Island to hopefully successfully make the swim to the shoreline of California. Oddly, she began the swim. This time, quicker than the last, there was again another fog. This time, it wasn't a little bit of rain, it was a storm that she was swimming in. But she kept swimming. She, and she kept, even though she couldn't see, she kept on and 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 finally she successfully reached the shore of California, the very first woman to do it. Not only did she do it, but she set a world record and she did it in more than two hours less than any man had ever accomplished it. Later, she was asked, what was the difference? Just two months ago, you gave up and now today you're setting a world record and frankly showing up all the men. What made the difference? And her answer was simple. She said, this time, I just determined that I would keep envisioning the shore. And as long as I could keep envisioning the shore, I could press on. And she did. You know what I'm convinced of? There are a lot of, in, a lot of us in our lives, maybe it's just inwardly, maybe it's maritally in our homes, Maybe we are suffering even for the name of Christ in our community and in our workplaces. And we're distracted. Like a fog that's hovered in, like a storm that's descending upon us, we have all sorts of emotions and feelings. We're tired, we're exhausted, we don't know how we can press forward. And what God is calling us to do is to fix our eyes on the shore. It's not merely the shore of heaven. It's that we're to be fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him 
endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down today at the right hand of the Father. So consider him who endured such hostility in himself by sinners. Consider him so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. Christian, what God's calling us to do today is this. He's calling us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And I plead with you to do so today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for the reminder that for all who believe in Jesus, that promise is so clear. You never leave us or forsake us. So we don't have to be afraid. Yes, we face tribulation in this world, but we can be of good courage because Jesus, you have overcome the world. You are with us. And not only that, you are guiding us through your word. You've promised to come again to take these temporary sufferings and to transform them into an eternal weight of glory. And so God, we praise you for your power, but also your grace and your mercy towards us. Father, I think about that reality of the temporary trials that we face in this life. And I'm so thankful, God, that you've saved me. And and I know that by faith of the joy that we're gonna experience in heaven, in our future. God, I'm also very burdened today because there are many who are walking through this world, walking through this life, many, maybe even here today, right now. They don't have that assurance of their salvation. They don't know Jesus as their savior. For them right now, this world's as good as it gets. And God, I pray today, you would draw them to that reality that they can be forgiven, they can be saved, they can know without a doubt that heaven is their home. So have your way right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.